Welcome. Today's show takes us into the world of AI ops, or artificial intelligence for operations, as we take a look into the reference architecture that worldwide technology has been developing. We have guest experts here to highlight core elements like AppDynamics, ThousandEyes, Cisco Intersight, and a few more, all integrated to create a collaborative ecosystem. Welcome to Tech 37, the podcast covering technology, education, and collaboration from worldwide technology. My name is Rob Boyd. Welcome to Tech 37, gentlemen. Nice to see we've got a, another cross-section, a nice cross-section, I would say, of expertise here. Chris Weiss, I'm not sure what your title is. I'll get back to you in a second. Neil Anderson, Senior Director of Network Solutions, and Tanner Bechtel, Global Director of AI Ops and APM. I assume that's Application Performance Monitoring? Did it currently right? is, my friend. Okay, yep. good, 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 good. All right, you're all from Worldwide Technology, and, uh, and you've got some different backgrounds, which will all come into play here. But first, let's start with Chris. Chris, forgive me, but what is it that you do? I know you're something in compute, but I've heard you, you're a master of quite a few things. That's a great question. Yeah, so uh, my name is Chris Wise. I'm a practice manager on our global engineering team, and I lead up our software-defined infrastructure practice. Okay, perfect, perfect. And then I don't know if I did justice. Neil, uh, you've been on the show before, but I don't know if you give a 20 seconds on what you're responsible for there as global director on the networking side. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're responsible for all the networking solutions. So pretty much anything that moves a packet, for including wireless, data center networking, uh, campus switching, et cetera, that's our practice. Okay, perfect, perfect. And Tanner, you oversee everything AI ops, I believe, and, and where that actually blends into application performance monitoring. Is that a fair way to put it? Certainly. Yeah, we, we focus on the app-centric AI model for IT operations. Perfect. And obviously, so Tanner, we had talked before, but this is a lot of what we're talking about here. And we've had a few other shows on this where we walked through a, a couple of versions, but worldwide technology has taken a very concerted uh, interest in physically building out and testing with the myriad of vendors that all claim some part of an AI ops, um, but also can, you know, due to no fault of their own, it's just the way the market works, but it can be confusing. And, um, and so, in the same way that we've done this a number of times, I thought it might be good to kind of look at the definition of AI ops, but I'm kind of curious to get it from each of your perspectives. And we go back to Chris and, and Chris, sure. how would you describe AI ops? Yeah. So I, I primarily live in the, the infrastructure space. So, so when we talk about AI ops in my world, I'm really thinking about uh, ops as, a re, as it uh, relates to infrastructure itself. So on the infrastructure side, we typically worry about things like performance and performance optimization. So we want to make sure that workloads are uh, are running optimally wherever they're running, but we want to make sure that we're not over-consuming things or uh, violating some sort of a policy or consumption policy inside of our organization. So we we leverage uh, today, it's a lot of manual intervention from humans to make sure that goes the right way, but AI ops gives us the ability to, uh, to look at a larger data set and make sure that we're making the right business decisions and keeping things running the way they should be across the board. All right, good. So I hear infrastructure, and I, I hear a certain level of focus in the things that you're primarily focused on, but I don't think that's, of course, all there is to it, um, and not that you were claiming that it was. But, Neil, how do you go about describing, and feel free to piggyback on anything, on all the elements that you that are still part of how you would come, up, uh, come about answering that question? Yeah, I would say, you know, network connectivity is getting more and more complex, you know, there's multi, multiple paths to get to the cloud where my applications are living or in my private data centers. So applications have moved, users have moved, and the network is still trying to connect all those things. And so what we have is 
we have a lot of different data sources and visibility trying to trying to provide insight into you know where might that connectivity be going wrong and i look at ai ops as a way to bring that together to make you know informed decisions about where really is the problem is it a connectivity problem a data center infrastructure problem an app workload problem you know, helping to identify what's the real source of those problems. That's kind of what I think of when I think of AI ops. Tanner, do you have a, anything that contrasts with anything being said here or how would you bring it all together? Uh, one, of the, one of the great things about AI ops, if it's consumed the right way or if it's planned the right way objectively is that it does consume all of these. At, when we first started our practice and focused on ways that we solve application problems, we looked at it from a performance point of view, APM. Right? How do we how do we watch the application and fix the application? But when you take into account the entire data center, the entire infrastructure enterprise, you see three things. You see application performance, monitoring and management. You see network performance, monitoring and management. And you see application resource management. And so all three of those things are real. You know, they're all wrapped in a security layer. But at the end of the day, AI ops is not a single definition. It is People always ask me, what is the simple definition? We are trying to isolate high value decision making. So if I'm if I'm someone that runs part of a data center or I own an application or I own a network, you know, I could be in Neil's shoes inside of one of our customers. I don't care what's causing, I don't care what's on the highway, you know, whether that's an app or that's a, a, a commercial packet from somewhere else, it doesn't matter. My job is to maintain that stretch of road or that piece of my network. And so if we look at AI ops as the model by which we are going to start making intelligent, correlated decisions about how to deliver resources to our customer, whether they're booking an airplane ticket or they're you know, trying to check their gift card balance or whatever they're doing, they're touching all of these things. And so when failure occurs, it doesn't always happen at the code level. It's not always contained inside the app. So AI ops is an extension of all those pieces across all of these regions. And we just got a fraction. You know, I mean, we've got Chris and Neil are both experts in their field and they're a component of that. But AI ops really has the growth potential, if executed the right way, to consume the entire data center. If we can isolate problems and events and failures and metrics and get smarter and execute with more intelligence across the entire enterprise, that is the true big picture definition of what AI ops means. Well, it feels like we've, we've, as an industry, have come into AI ops, I don't want to say accidentally, but we've kind of fallen into it as we search for answers because all of a sudden, I think so many of us feel like we're losing control of our, uh, our yeah. applications are in so many different places. The data center is not in one freaking location like it used to be. It was really pretty easy when everything was here, and then I backed it up to here, and then I, I knew where things were. So as things go out, they bring a lot of value, but then there's a ton of loss of visibility, I think is, is, is one of the words kind of used in there. And so with that loss of visibility, yeah. visibility becomes a loss of control or feeling at least because, and what I hear all of you saying is that there's a renewed focus, but especially what AI ops is about is really focusing not on whether something's up or down because yes, that's important, but it doesn't have anything to do with what that end user experience is. And the end user experience has so many, um, Refer so many things that are kind of leaning on it that could have an effect mm -hmm. on it. And so AIOps seeks to, and so correct me if I'm wrong, but seeks to say, what are all the different ways in which you can say what's affecting this end user experience and how do I make sure it's happening in a way that the end user remains happy, productive, making money, whatever it needs to be. Is mm -hmm. that roughly it? I feel like my words are failing me again. What do you know? I'm camera shy. No, 
But I think you're I think you're spot on. I think well, you're spot okay. on. Well, so you guys had mentioned in terms of kind of a reference architecture that you were building, and I don't know how far we go with this because I figure it's something that's happening all the time. You guys provide the ability to help customers who are struggling with these issues. And a lot of what you do is not only with the experts like we have here on the on the call, but also um, when people are, you know, can can work with your facility, you guys are testing the different vendors' promises, seeing what works well together, really taking all the little silos, as I like to think of it, from the vendors and saying, how do we make these silos work better together? Uh, because that's what the customers are trying to do. So you're doing it on behalf of your customers. But you'd mentioned, uh, and this was a new one to me in terms of AI ops, but it makes sense. Uh, but everything from, of course, a thousand eyes to Cisco Intersight doing stuff I wasn't aware of. Also, do um, what was the other one? Um, Cisco uh, App Dynamics. C1. And oh, C1. App Dynamics, of course. Yeah, and C1. Yeah. But let's get back to because thousand eyes is one of the ones that didn't surprise me mm-hmm. because uh, for what they do, but I like the way this represents something maybe we were blind to or didn't realize we'd be blind to mm-hmm. on this one. Neil, I wonder if you could describe for anybody who's not familiar with thousand eyes who they are, what they do, and, and why this becomes maybe a really critical ingredient for a successful AI ops. Yeah, essentially, if you think about connectivity, it's gotten more complex. And um, often, you know, let's say we have an app slowdown. In the past, the, the first thing is, well, it must be the network. Like, so I, so I go and I crawl through logs on my network and try to figure out what's wrong. But often the problem is not on my network anymore. It might be a service provider out there between me and the application workload, or it might be uh, a SaaS provider that is has having a slowdown for some reason, but I don't have a lot of visibility into those, right? With, with the, the traditional tools. What Thousand Eyes has solved is really putting agents out in all those different locations. So now I can, I can kind of crowdsource is the way I look at it, global connectivity. I can tell what, you know, what, where the problems are. And that helps me with tremendous visibility because now I can f- focus on if, if I determine it's not on my network, I can focus on where the problem really is, right? It's between, you know, between the user and that workload. So just tremendous uh, amount of insight that's available there that can really help to pinpoint where connectivity problems are experiencing. And to your point, they're often not, it's not an up and down anymore. It's a slowdown. It's it's packet loss or latency or something. And and the, the Thousand Eyes tool we like about it is it, it gives you just a ton of visibility into that you know, between all the way from the user to the app workload. Yeah. I always like hearing from Thousand Eyes in terms of they always are consistent about putting out information of what they're seeing from all these agents that they have and kind of reminding us that that the Internet is literally just kind of a, a, a loose collection of, of um, destinations all tied together with BGP in a, you know, in a way that mostly works, uh, but is also ripe for... Um, you know, for everything from routing issues to other things that can, can have a cascading effect. And we don't know what to blame. And it, it, it's less about blame, but it's also about knowing what to fix quickly so that we can resolve things and continue to do what we're there to do. But there's some other ones mentioned in here, Chris. I wonder if you could reflect on what is the role AppD plays in, in, and we'll get into CWAM and Intersight as well. Yeah, so I, I think you know, all three of these things are starting to come together and we'll get into that a little bit, but maybe, uh, maybe Tanner will let you cover AppD first um, and then mm-hmm. I can jump into the, into the intersite. Feel free, Tanner, yeah. give, us, give us AppD. Absolutely. App so Dynamics. Neil, Neil taught, yeah, it's at, it's <laughs> App Dynamics is the official. Uh, one of the things that we've been able to do, Neil said something there that, you know, it's not just, it's not just, uh, it's not binary anymore. It's not on or off, right? It's the, it's the slowdown and figuring out where that stuff occurs because we have, Everybody says this like hyperbole, 
like it's uh, the complexity has exploded, right? right? The Kubernetes apps and containers and serverless models and cloud and IoT and all of these things that innovation innovation leapfrogs. So you get innovation with these it, these environments, and what you have to do in in response is is come back and figure out how to manage them and effectively deliver them. And so what AppD is doing is it's focusing on the end user all the way out to you. If you're booking a ticket on, you know, on an airline website, that experience that you're having. So two things have happened in the tech industry, if I can be top down for a second, that have been amazing, that have literally led to, led, to, <laughs> led to our careers, right? Is that we have both depersonalized and personalized almost asynchronously, but at the, in the same space. So what we've done is we've taken a simple app model. When I started software, when I started building software, it lived in a building I could go visit. It was inside of a data center and typically it was inside of one rack. I could open the rack, there's my data server, here's my web server, you know, here's my router. God, Everything's nice. right there. Yeah. Everything is all inside of it. It has exploded in complexity and so all that stuff lives in different places and depending on the time of day, which Chris is Chris will describe with like Siwon it might be, in, it might move around. It might not even exist in the same physical space. So what we have had to do is we've had to begin to truly understand the user experience. So AppD looks at the end user monitoring. Okay. Like, what am I, Tanner? I'm a, I'm a platinum member on an airline. What am I experiencing in this moment? And I'm translating that end user experience, and I'm using AI or machine learning, and I'm actually building models to say this group, you know, this is your high dollar group. Take care of these people they've experienced a 17% slowdown. And here's the workflow and the journey that all of them are taking. And right here is the yellow spot. Uh -huh. So when I double click into that, AppD allows me to say, okay, now I can see which part of the application or where in the data or where in the network. And AppD has a natural limitation for the application. So we hit a wall. So when we, as we talk about these tool sets, Thousand Eyes, CWAM, Iowa eventually, all a myriad of different tools, what they allow me to do is keep that visual, that personalized perspective on the performance of the individual in the application, but continue to dig down. So AppD right now gives me that application workflow, but what these tools, you know, Neil's and Chris's space amongst many others inside of this AI ops model allow us to do is step further and further and further in. And as we do that, we collect analytics, but the big picture the next step beyond that is if these decisions and these architectures and dependencies of failure continue to be booked and archived and put in the library, we reach a point where we can start to actually apply some of that AI and ML and start to figure some of these solutions out. So I go back to the statement I made, isolating high value decisions. Instead of me being presented 40 alerts from Thousand Eyes and AppD and CWAM and Moogsoft and you know 15 other platforms I'm given a situation. Here's what we think happened. Here's what we think it looked like before. We've seen three of these. This has a 92% chance of being the solution. Do you want to execute the fix? And eventually, we don't have to execute the fix. We focus on the quality of the experience in the app, not, so, the, not, the, not the solution. Sometimes, and this sounds very similar in my overgeneralization when you talk about AppD and Thousand Eyes, is there's a little bit of a, a pulling back of the curtain where you go, oh, that's what's happening. There's a demystification. It feels like magic at first. Then when something goes wrong, you go, well, I need to see how what's actually happening here. And so you need a way to then go in 
and have that increased yep. visibility down to whatever minute level is needed um, to be able to do that. And it feels like it's even more important these days because as we move to, as we, we're pushing, everyone's moving into containerization and apps are getting disaggregated or elements or, you know, the database is over here backed up with another app over here and these containers are expanding and contracting. So these are the kind of tools that we've got to be looking at regardless. This is not a negative thing. It's just dealing with the reality as it currently exists. Well, Chris, you punted that back to Tanner on App D, but um, so it, it, can you tell us more about uh, first of all CWOM? Tell us what what is that acronym? Because make sure we understand that is an acronym. Yeah, so so there's a couple things I'll talk about here. One is CWOM, which is uh, Cisco's workload optimization manager. Uh, another is uh, Cisco Intersight, which is their cloud-based infrastructure management tool. And so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how those two things are are working together today, and maybe how they'll work together tomorrow as well. So the, I, I do find it helpful sometimes to step back and just talk through what's the what's the problem we're trying to solve here and what would be the optimal outcome. And then we could talk about how Cisco is stitching those things together. So I, I think the, the problem that we see today, and, and Neil referenced it before, but uh, if I'm working on a help desk in a, you know any company today, inevitably somebody in that, on that help desk is going to get a phone call that says, hey, I'm on the mobile app right now. I'm trying to order a pizza or a car or whatever it might be and it's slow or it's not working or it's getting connectivity errors or something like that. Um, to, to, to try to de debug that issue, just sitting at a help desk, wherever you might be home today, obviously in, in the times we're in, um, it's almost impossible because that, that could be an infrastructure issue, an application issue, a process issue, a network issue. Uh, any of the cloud providers could be having issues right now uh, in, in any layer of their stacks. It's almost impossible manually to figure that out today. It's, it's too complicated. So what, what we'd like to get to is, is to a point where um, the, the help desk user is not involved anymore. It's, it's really all handled by, by technology uh, and by intelligence and software. So when something like that, like the application stops or starts responding in, incorrectly, we want, we want it to be identifiable by software and we want the software to make uh, an intelligent decision about what should happen to try to resolve that on its own. So that hopefully these things are identified and fixed before it, hopefully any users see it. But uh, if they do, hopefully just a few number, uh, a low number of users. Okay, so that's that's like pie in the sky. That'd be awesome if that's yeah. how it all worked. So the the reality is that it, it takes some things to get to that point. So we one we have to be able to see all these different data points. So we have to know what's going on in the cloud and know what's going on in our own data centers and know what's going on in the networking and the storage layers and in the application code. And so this is where things like um, like Cisco App Dynamics that will look at the application layer and that will tell us very specifically what's going on at the, at the code layer. Something like Cisco Intersight looks at infrastructure, so that will look at things like servers and virtual machines, and containers, and it will it will tell us what's going on at that layer. Um, uh, Thousand Eyes will look at networking, and so that will start telling us what's going on at that layer. So if we can if we can centralize all these things together into one location, which is what Cisco Intersight is is starting to do now, we're going to keep moving down that path. Um, then all you need to do is apply something like um, uh, some data analytics and a, a decision engine to it, which is what things like Cisco Workload Optimization Manager do. And suddenly we have all the pieces that we can actually build this tool to to start discovering and reacting to um, to issues as they occur. Well, you're hitting on something there that I, I want to make sure. So it, it started to sound like, and I don't think this is what you meant, and I probably just misheard it, but you're not saying Cisco Intersight becomes AI ops by integrating all this information necessarily, because if there's anything I've learned from you guys is that there's 
I don't think there's any situation where the one tool answers all problems. Um, but it, it because it, it's really about how these things are working together now, because I would just customers have, there are many customers who have maybe one or two of these things, or they're maybe they have one and they're looking at one or two others. Um, and that may be solving problems that they have, but, and I don't know who to direct this to, but I feel like what is the, how do you begin bringing the unique information and capabilities that each of these things that we've kind of talked about here represent? How do you begin bringing them together so that you could have that mythical all-in-one dashboard uh, of omniscient knowledge? <laughs> that's the omniscient dashboard of uh, uh, yeah, whatever, that, whatever the hell that statement you just made yeah, was. That was great. Yeah, was um, I'd say that's what we're seeking. And I can answer this. I think all of us could answer this in our own way to some degree, but I'll take a shot at it first. The main thing that we do and the thing that we have done that has made this unique is that we are not a platform developer. We're not a software developer. We don't create a tool. We maintain a level of, you know, we're, we're based in Missouri, the show me state. And I think we, we take that pretty seriously. We use the ATC to really prove out the best models. So That's the advanced technology center there in St. Louis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The advanced technology center, which is our essentially our R and D enterprise data center. And we have built models designed around solving problems. So the main thing that we do differently and the main thing that any business that looks at this has to think through is that you're solving a business objective. That's what we do when we look at AI ops. Anybody, and there are, that's, AI ops as a term is one of the more confusing things that anybody will ever step off into because you've got networking teams, you've got software teams, you've got services groups and management consultants. Everybody will focus on this area. Ultimately, what you have to do is look at the business objective. You have to look at what are you trying to solve? Better experience for a customer, decrease cost of operation, and l start there. The second, the second part, it, it diverts at that point. You have two, two primary means of engagement to solve an AI ops problem. The first is product-centric. So if we go in and we look at tool sets and we say, AppD exists and Thousand Eyes is there, but you don't have CWAM. Let's let's build interconnectivity and interoperability between AppD. Let's build it between Thousand Eyes and let's add CWAM to the mix to provide a richer experience for you to make decisions inside your pre-existing enterprise monitoring category, right? The second way to do this, which is the way that we are really growing to lean on heavily now, which is, in my opinion, the better way. And that is really to start looking at this from um, we, we execute it through an operational readiness assessment. And what that is, it's a series of small workshops that go to the business objective. We talk to the business, we execute uh, small engagements with the right people in the right, in the right teams that help us answer, what are we trying to solve? What are the areas that we need to fix? What are the pre-existing tools that exist? You know, what are their adoption levels and how can we actually stitch together a journey to get them from today to interoperability and an AI-based model for decision-making. It's this thing, we keep talking about it, we keep kicking it around, is very complicated. It has been for us. We've executed it, we've built an MVP, we've actually created not just this thought leadership, but a demo, like we can show you. You can log into the ATC and we can walk you through what a, we sell tea. We have this funny little, uh, Wait, application wait, wait. where you can no, like, yeah. what, sell tea what are you saying <laughs> i i have to i have to explain this 
So we, we have built this absolutely beautiful, complex model that integrates all of these tool sets. I mean, like a dozen different platforms for monitoring and, and network performance and cloud performance and maintenance and management. This complex app that's Kubernetes-based that is sitting on multiple cloud providers and our internal infrastructure. And we're using that giant horsepower monster to run this this funny little application that uh, you can go in and you can buy loosely tea. It's our it's, it's just an example that we've built for okay. for showcasing oh, this gotcha. uh, for showcasing this interconnectivity. But we did that on a, on purpose, and yeah. that is because we have gone down this path of complexity to be able to deliver it simply. You know, people start today. People can sit through a webinar and they can sit through a pitch. Um, and they can see where data science proves the model out and that it's a good investment long term. But the answer to a question that everyone asks needs to be where you begin today. And we get that question a lot. How do I start? Like, how do I get how do I begin this conversation? Where do I where do I stick the first pen? Right. And so we have we have sought to do that. Um in an advanced way with an advanced set of, of technology, but also in a way that we understand that getting started is half the battle where you begin and how you, how do you start proving the ROI? Because it is a long journey to build an AI based IT operations structure is not something you do overnight. And it's not something you do with one tool. It's not one platform. It's not one services group. It is a journey you take with a trusted partner. And that's what we have, you know, we've been on this call multiple times in different capacities. Uh, yeah. But what we have done even internally is to partner up with our own teams to say, real world execution, what's the model? How do we help people step into a zero entry pool instead of being able to, you know, asking them to jump in the deep end without knowing if they can swim or not? So that's a very wordy answer to a short question. And I would love Neil and you and Chris to add to that too. But that's that's my take on it. Yeah, Neil, I'm curious. You know, one thought that occurred to me also was, earlier, not necessarily from anything you guys have said, but this notion of AI and the fact that AI being a part of the, the terminology, and I wonder if people get automatically turned off because that's in our buzzword bingo of yeah. the vendors going to use AI and ML. We got a, ML is probably in there somewhere. In fact, I think I heard Tanner yeah. say ML in there somewhere. And obviously yeah, these are good yeah. technologies behind this, but they're used so loosely to mean so many different things. I'm curious from your perspective, is that, a, you know, I, I'm assuming it's not a legitimate excuse to ignore something that's going on here. Yeah, it's funny. I, I usually have a joke that I say, if you put a, the words AI, ML, and analytics in a business proposal, you can get VC money, you know, just oh, raining okay. it on that's you. That's the formula. Right? Okay. But uh, <laughs> because, there, you know, in reality, there are just a ton of different tools out there, right? And everybody yeah. is, I think, overusing the terms AI and ML um, often you know, they have specific meanings. And I think in the, you know, where I see it in my space is that we're now starting to correlate large data sets of information, right? Where somebody used to go into a log or multiple logs on devices and they, they correlated that information manually, right? We're now seeing automatic correlation of those data sets, those large data sets and the data sets themselves just expanding, you know, rapidly. Uh, and you need, it's really beyond the point where a human can correlate a lot of those things is yeah, the way much, that I look fast. at it. Yeah. And so bringing those islands of analytics together into something meaningful that is describing to Tanner's point, it's a, it's a, 
this this situation is happening, right? It's not about hey, there you know there's a CPU over here on this router that is you know high. Hey, there's there's something happening over here. It's about there's an app slowdown. Well, now let's figure out what it's a sort of that. And I, I don't I think that there's so much data being created that it's it's really becoming impossible to correlate it from a human's point of view. And that's to me that's really where the AI applied here and the machine learning takes that to the next step, which is okay, if I figured out that a problem happened this way and I solved it, you know, in, in this manner before, can I repeat that behavior if I see the same problem again? And that's where I think the learning comes in. The gold standard, repeatable behavior. Um, it's always so hard to find that when you're troubleshooting uh, to make something happen twice. But it also reminds me, and I can't remember if it was in discussion with you guys or not, uh, but this notion that, you know, we build networks and architectures to be relatively self-healing or to work their way around problems and so, you know, our old mental metrics that, that a lot of us that have been around a while may go off of is, you know, when things are operating, you can't assume if you don't have the visibility that everything is okay because there, there could be that next disaster building and the, the network and, and parts of your infrastructure could be wanting to give you signals that there are things that need to be addressed by it working around. Because I feel like it, the goal is to understand how is everything operating so you can optimize. Because, Tanner, you would always drill this into me in previous conversations. It's really about optimization, not about chasing issues. But it's about optimizing, which means we're not waiting for something to fail. You're looking to make everything operate at its level best uh, as a, right. you know, the teamwork. But that is so that we can have enough faith in, in what's happening to then allow some automated things to occur. So not just automatically, as Neil, as you're saying, in terms of automatically gathering the data, which is important, but also automatically responding to what the data is revealed. So if you have good data, you're processing it appropriately, you hopefully will get to a point where some of the um, decisions that are taking up way too much human capital can be executed upon by the system because it's been tweaked to that level. And Chris, I'm curious, just as, as we're kind of wrapping up in the end here, though, isn't that kind of what you're talking about in terms of some of the stuff Cisco's been doing that you guys are playing with, with Intersight and some other things that there's the, they've really been building towards this ability to take this data and start making decisions about maybe it's where workloads are running, maybe it's what's spun up, what needs to be spun down, that type of thing? Yeah, so you, you mentioned something before that's kind of near and dear to our heart. We we tend to think about ops in general, not just AI ops, but ops in general as responding to some sort of a negative event. And that's that's true, that's a big part of it, but there's there's also a flip side of that coin, especially in a, in a multi-cloud world, which is we, we wanna make sure that we're, we're running the right kind of workloads on the right kinds of platforms to optimize efficiency, and, and that usually results in cost. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, it, when whether it's in our own data center or whether it's out in you know AWS or Azure or Google or something, like that all costs money to run things. Um, electricity costs money, data, data center space costs money, servers cost money, uh, the, the the billing models and the cloud providers. Sound like me yelling at my money. kids upstairs. It costs money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, so the point is, you know, we wanna we wanna be we want the the operational layer to react so that if we need more horsepower, we need more performance, whatever it might be, we can do that very quickly and rapidly and it, it does great at that. But the, the folks who care about money, which is everybody who's in this for, for, for the business side, that we want to make sure it shrinks back down too. So that's a huge part about what AI ops can do for us. It, it makes sure that workloads are running in the right place at the right time. And if we don't need all this infrastructure to support them anymore, we can spin that back down or repurpose it for other, other reasons. And frankly, that's just something that humans don't typically take the time to do today, just because they have, they have other jobs to be doing. So um, it, it may cost a little money to get things like AI ops in the door, but the cost savings that come back just out of making your, your operating model more efficient 
um, can easily pay for it. Yeah, yeah and, and it's somewhere yeah. we need to go, right? Sorry, Tanner, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's a direction where yeah. that everything is going that way. The complexity is not going to stop. Things get easier on one side, but yeah, we can't give this. This is a, not a stick your head in the sand moment. It doesn't feel like. But Tanner, what were you going to say? Sorry. He said something there that I think is really important. It's something that we say a lot, but it takes us a minute to get there because we're talking about the tech. AI ops is not a solution that eliminates people. You know, this is, we're always, all of our monitoring spaces, everybody thinks that the smarter we get, the more planar data becomes that the less people's decision-making is necessary. And it's quite frankly, the opposite. Right now, people are making decisions based on how well they can uh, assimilate the data. And what AI ops allows people to do is start making very good decisions based on clear data. It's, it's like, um, you know, it's like being a detective. That's essentially what people do when they are trying to keep these systems up and keep them efficient. They're taking all the data they can collect reasonably using pattern recognition in their brain and solving problems as fast as they can get to them. Right. And so what AI ops allows us to do is to kind of delegate a little bit of that, use pattern recognition at scale. Um, and it's not magic, you know, it's in, it's individually designed in, in applications, event correlation tools and APM tools and NPM tools. And it allows them to start making smarter decisions. And I always go back to that. I think I, I said to you multiple times, you can't change what you can't measure. Like yeah. you must measure things in order to know if you're making a better, doing the, doing things better. That's what we aim to do. The more we can collect and the more we can aggregate and the more we can do that in real time, you know, we've had log analysis for years, but we're talking about doing this now in the moment in real time and using ai as that horsepower to do that in real time but the answers they come back to smart people and we have tons of smart people in these places that we are enabling to become even more valuable to the institution and, and quite frankly making a more sustainable business model we can yeah. we can allow businesses to run leaner and smarter and more effectively for the end user so <laughs> We've employed these massive changes to really deliver a more personal experience, which is the first time ever in my technology history I've been able to say something like that. Yeah, and that and actually, and that's the big thing left unsaid here as we wrap up. Um, but you know, smart people need smart tools, um, and uh, there's no lack of smart people. It's just kind of getting access to the right tools. And 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 to your point you made earlier, where people go, "How do I get started?" I'd like to end with that um, because you guys. You've, you've talked about what you guys have built out. I know you're constantly running the various R&D. There's no shortage of vendors that are always knocking on your doors, wanting to be in your lab, and many are, as you continue to work solutions in and out of, of what becomes your golden master, to use my own language. I don't know if I'm saying it right. But I wonder if you could tell me what kind of thing could someone be doing to say, boy, where do I, what, how do I take the first step in my own operation? Sure. Yeah. One thing we do, and one thing I love about Worldwide, and I love about working here, is that when we learn stuff, we run out in the hallway and we say, hey, I figured this out. <laughs> Everybody, take a look at what we build. And that manifests itself in the platform. If you go to www.t.com, you register, you can get online and you can see everything we've built, you know, thought leadership documents and case studies and, and labs. You can actually go play with the virtual labs that we use and have used to build out our AI ops model. All of us, all three of us here have different parts of the worldwide business that we manage. All of us have tons of labs that, so we want customers to go on this journey with us to get started, you know, it does not require, 
we're not gatekeepers in this process. We share data, we share knowledge, we share uh, what we've learned and the advancements we've made. Our value to our customers is understanding their business. We understand business objectives and we maintain a level of uh, agnosticism with tools that allow us to make really smart strategic decisions informed by incredibly in-depth technology experience. And that's really where we fit. So step one, go go read about our perspective. Go understand who we are on the platform at www.com. Go see how we feel about this, how we talk about it in each of our respective areas. Step two, get in touch with us. Every one of those labs has a way that you can actually communicate with people who either created the lab or lead the division or lead the technology space. Um, In our case, we will walk you through our entire AI ops infrastructure. Real-time, real demos, not PowerPoint slides, led by real solutions architects. Um, And the third part of that is to engage with us at a consultative level. We can actually start to help you down that path, you know, whether you're beginning in networking, you're beginning in multi-cloud, or you're beginning at the app level, or where have you, wherever you live in the enterprise, we have teams of people that have designed programs to help people move through this journey. It's not a tool. It's not a product. It's not a single solution. It's a journey that you take with us. uh, and, And we'll... We share everything we can in the process to get you there because we love mutually intelligent clients. Yeah. That's really that's really where it lands. It does make things easier when your clients are smart too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I love the fact that before we were all coroned, um, you guys were already <laughs> making the ATC available online well before <laughs> we all got stuck at home. And and so that obviously continues today as you continue to invest in it. And so we're not saying anybody needs to travel to St. Louis or anything like that. Uh, these are all things that are available remotely. And um, and the ones that I've sat in on and such, I'm all, I'm, I, I do like the sharing and the fact that um, uh, you guys are going through a lot of the same things that you put your customers through, of course. And so what you do is you share kind of the learning behind that the, the, and the mistakes that we may not talk about on a platform like this, per se, too broadly. But one-on-one with a customer who's experiencing the same things, there's an empathy there that translates into an intelligent understanding of how to, how to make this go faster so that you can avoid you know, repeating the same mistakes over and over again. Um, and one of my favorite, leverage some of the you know, customers need to be looking at you guys, I think, to leverage stuff that they've already invested in. Uh, it's not always about buying something new. Um, it's really about getting a lot of value out of what you already have. And I think most people like me, I, have, I own, just personally, I own way more things than I know how to actually operate. Uh, to, to a degree of, because um, the difference like Tanner, you've got guitars behind you that I I know you know how to play. I've got guitars behind me I don't know how to play. Just to, <laughs> just to, just to, to, just to show you how shallow I am. But uh, no, you guys are, are rock stars and I like what you're doing and the, the methodologies behind there that you can access. So thank you, Chris, Neil, Tanner as always, of course, and Worldwide Technology, www.t.com. Uh, you guys need to join that platform, actually, because it makes it easier to subscribe to the stuff that is published and then, of course, engage in the labs and all the materials and resources that they continue to make available because it's more of a community than a broadcasting platform by me, by all means. So uh, please reach out and do that. Thank you so much for watching. This has been the Tech 37 Podcast. My name is Rob Boyd. We'll see you on the next episode.